0: We will be looking at the section, verse 27 through 32. And after these things he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. Amen. After the previous events we've looked at in this chapter most recently the healing of the paralysed man in Capernaum, Jesus, we can deduce from the other gospel accounts of this event, leaves the city and heads to the coastal region around the Sea of Galilee. And the first thing we encounter here in these verses is that he calls one particular man to discipleship. Subsequent to that, this man holds a celebratory party in his house. He invites Jesus and he also invites many of his former associates and friends. The religious leaders are there again as they were in the previous section ready to criticize and as they do so Jesus rebukes them and wonderfully gives us further light on the gracious nature of his ministry. There's a connection between the whole. The encounter with the man in verse 27 and 28 illustrates the truth that Jesus declares at the end in verse 31 and in verse 32. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Our theme is very simple. Christ came to call sinners. That should be the least inoffensive statement that anyone in the world could hear. But yet, as we understand from this portion of God's word and the pride of the human heart, it is one of the most offensive statements to those who are not taught by the Spirit of God and the grace of the gospel of Christ. But it really is good news to our souls this afternoon. Christ came to call sinners. The first thing here is the conversion of Levi, verse 27 and 28. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. Now this is not the first disciple that the Lord Jesus has called. In fact, not the first disciple that he has called, even in this chapter that we've been looking at. We learned in the previous sections that Jesus there by the sea has called Peter and Andrew and James and John to leave their nets, to follow him, and he would make them to become fishers of men. And there's a similarity between those four men and this man, because you see in verse 28, after Jesus says, follow me, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. But although the two things look the same, there is a significant and notable difference between these events. If I could remind you what we said of those four men, that it was not their conversion. And the reason that we knew that was because Peter, Andrew, James, and John had already been influenced by the ministry of John the Baptist. They were true-hearted Jews waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were following John, waiting for the Messiah, and then John points to him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then those four men, they uh, they, they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not the case with this man. His name is Levi. In Matthew's gospel, he's called Matthew. And of course, he ought to know because he is the same man who writes that gospel. And the reason that we're arguing here that it is his conversion has to do with where he was found. We're told in verse 27 that he was sitting at the receipt of custom. That's a toll booth that was very likely around the sea and it may have had to do with collecting a a tax on travel. So if you wanted to cross a river or if you wanted to cross uh, the sea, the Romans would have set up these little tax lodges and you had to go and pay the tribute to the Roman authorities For the rite of passage. But of course, that was a tremendously offensive thing to the Jew, because they were a people under occupation. And so in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the the worst things that you could have done to bring the derision of your fellow countrymen upon you was to act in this capacity on the behalf of the Romans. You would have been seen as a a betrayer of your people. You would have been an outcast to the devout of the land. And don't we see that when in the Bible, this, this word publican, which is really the tax collector, the one who works for the Roman authorities, publican is always linked with what? Sinners. In fact, they're used or they're spoken of in the same terms of which many of the Jews would have described the Gentiles, the outcast, the stranger, among the covenant people. But they had effectively excommunicated themselves from the covenant people of God. You know another notable tax collector, don't you? His name was Zacchaeus. And again, Luke is the one who tells us of mercy to that man when Jesus came to Jericho and salvation came to his house. So Levi is not like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, already following John the Baptist and then receiving his preaching concerning Jesus and following him. This man is being converted from a life of rejection, of covenant privileges, And waywardness. Well, how does it happen? Jesus calls him. Verse twenty-seven: Levi sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said, "Follow me." Now, obviously, as he sat there in his little toll booth, he heard the words, just the same way that you're hearing my words today. And I could take the very words of Jesus and apply them to your ears and say follow me but what I can't do is apply them to your heart but when Jesus spoke words to the ears he accompanies the audible word with the power of his spirit so that this man is immediately and irresistibly moved in his heart to leave the toll booth and follow Christ So Jesus calls. Levi comes. He leaves behind his livelihood. But you need to understand here that when Jesus says, follow me, implicit in that is the call to believe on Christ, to repent of sin, and to follow him. Culturally, as we've said, this man would have been reckoned among the chief of sinners of the day. But now he is found following the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so though somewhat understated here as we read it, understand that this is a display of the great and marvelous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in some ways it's connected to everything that we've already seen in chapter 5 and even back into chapter 4. All of those miracles. Like the miracle in nature when, when the fish all swim into the net. Like the miracles of healing where Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law and then the multitudes that are brought to the house. And then he heals the leper and he heals the man who was sick of, a pals- of the palsy. All of those miracles we said illustrate what Christ does for the soul. And now we meet Levi and that's exactly what Christ does for his soul. This man in his toll booth is blind and he receives his sight. He is deaf yet he hears the voice of the son of man. He's the leper who needs to be cleansed. He's the paralyzed man. That unless he hears with the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ in his soul. He will sit still in his toll booth. But like Psalm 29 in God's providence that we sang today. The voice of the Almighty is heard within his soul. And immediately he left all. He rose up. And he followed him. the call comes to you as it came to him today. As I said, you're called outwardly in the preaching of the word of God. But as the spirit blesses the preached word to the hearts of those who will believe, what happens? They're drawn. They rise up and they follow Christ. Have you experienced that? You sat under many sermons and all those sermons said in one way or another, follow me. And yet you never heard them. And then one time or through time, you started hearing with different ears. My sheep, they hear my voice. And when the word of God came with power, you forsook everything. And you came to Jesus Christ at the word of his command. Do you know what that's like? Are you hearing his voice today? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. But when Christ called and and Levi came, what was he he coming to? Well, isn't it also clear here that he's coming to a life of discipleship, that he's not coming to Jesus merely for the forgiveness of sins, though he will receive that. But he's coming to take freely from Christ everything that is held out to him in the gospel And at the same time, he's coming to give freely to Christ everything that he is as a converted sinner. He turns from the old and he puts on the new. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything, all has become new. And there are maybe those of you sitting here today and you say, I'm a Christian. And we might respond, how do you know that you're a Christian? And you don't have anything else in your hope apart from the fact that you've been brought up in church and you're still here. Well, that's a good thing. But that does not mean to say that you are a true-hearted Christian. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And if that new creation has not happened, all you have is a form of godliness that is utterly void of its power. But when the power comes, sinners rise up and they follow Jesus. They follow Jesus. They leave sin and all of its advantages behind, just like Levi. They walk away from the toll booth. They don't care what it means for their reputation. They're not concerned about the friends that they will have to disassociate with. Christ has become everything to their soul. And for him, they are willing to give up everything... So that they might follow him. Jesus doesn't hide the implications of discipleship from people when he preaches the gospel. He doesn't just preach forgiveness of sins. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What glorious words. But then he says, I have a yoke. I have a yoke and you're going to take it upon you. Don't worry, it's easy and it's light. But it's the yoke of discipleship. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. And let him what? Follow me. Now Levi only hears the last part of that, but the whole is included. Levi, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. And Levi walks in line after the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most bizarre controversies to me in the Christian church in North America over the last 30 or 40 years and, and I, I came, came to it late. I didn't even know it existed and when I learned about it, I, I'm stunned. The Lordship Controversy. How do you ever read the Bible and come to the conclusion that you can come to Jesus as a Savior without taking Him to be the Lord? There's no controversy. Follow me. Have you heard His voice? Is that what He's calling you to do? What's the problem? Are you not willing to give up the things that you know He's going to require you to give up? The people. The pleasures. Well, let me be very frank. If you won't, you can't have Christ. So choose you today who you will serve. Levi had a choice to make. Follow me. The conversion of Levi. Secondly, we have the friend of sinners the friend of sinners now sometime after Levi's conversion and it would have taken a little time at least to have organized Levi holds a feast at his house and we read of it in verse 29 and Levi made him a great feast in his own house and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with, with them But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? The feast, we're told in verse 29, is held in honor of Christ. Did you note that? And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. The hymn there seems to be referring to Christ. He's not making a feast to himself in his own honour. The feast is in honour of Christ, and yet he invites many of his old friends there. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. Now we'll see in a minute that the Pharisees criticise him, and they look at the publicans and the others, and they say, publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners. What are we to understand from Levi's action here? Well, let's learn three things from this feast or this party. The first is grace produces gratitude. Grace produces gratitude. Here's a man who has just been converted, his life has been turned upside down and transformed and the first thing he appears to want to do is celebrate by appointing a feast in honour to the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who had spent his life in sin and maybe earned much from his sinful ways now desires to pay out in celebration of the mercy that has been shown to him. How many examples of this, in one form or another, do we have in the gospel? That grace produces gratitude. Consider the woman at the well. And she she can't hold it in. She goes back into her city and everybody she sees, she's wanting to tell. Come, see a man who told me all things whatsoever I did. Or consider that woman with the alabaster box of ointment. And she's criticised. This was so expensive. We could have taken this ointment and we could have given it to the poor. But what's the principle? This woman had received such grace from Christ that she loved so much as to spend her money and crack that perfume and anoint Christ because Christ was far more precious to her than her annual salary the same thing here. Levi has been converted and he holds a feast. What can I give him? How can I honour him? That's the question of a converted soul. Lord, what would thou have me to do? What can can I do now for Jesus who has done so much for me? My hands have to be the Lord. My time, my finances, everything that I am has to be the Lord. I come and present my body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Is that your life, Christian? He has redeemed my life so that I now live for him in a thankful, joyous life of communion and fellowship with Christ. Grace produces gratitude. The second lesson we learn from this feast is grace makes us missionaries. Grace makes us missionaries. He holds a feast in honour to Christ. Christ. And Jesus' other disciples are there and no doubt these are Levi's new friends. He wouldn't have had any association with Simon, Peter, Andrew and John prior to that. They would have looked at him and thought tax collector. But now Jesus and his disciples are there but that's not where the emphasis is placed in the passage. It's on who else was there. And there was a great company of publicans and others that sat down with them. Now, why do you think they were there? Why do you think they were there? Levi holds a feast in honor to Christ. And then he goes and invites a bunch of publicans and sinners. Well, the answer ought to be obvious. To celebrate the salvation that he had received from Christ. Was accompanied with a desire that he might bring as many other people as he could to the same Savior. His life had changed. He walked away from the toll booth booth. But all of his fellow publicans and sinners, and probably the people that he is to socialize with, they're still back there, lost in their sin. And leave I cannot leave them there. And so he comes up with a plan. I'll hold a feast and I'll bring Jesus and I'll bring them. Jesus. How many times have we seen something like this even in the last chapter or so? That conversion to Christ comes with an evangelistic impulse to see other sinners saved. And it acts to find ways to get those people to Jesus. Like the friends of the paralyzed man who did not give up when they saw that they had no access through the door of the house. But they ripped the roof off and let him down into the room to the very feet of Jesus. And here we see more ingenuity, if you like, in Levi's mind. How can I get my friends to experience the salvation that I've experienced. I'll plan a party. And I'll invite them to come along. Well, think about that in your own life. People that you've left behind in sin, that you're burdened for. People that you know in the community, people that you work with, that you're burdened for. And the first thing that you you can think of is You know, I'd love to get them to church because, in a sense, that's the feast at which Christ is present, the public means of grace. How can I get them to church? And so you ask them to come to church and they don't want to come to church. Don't give up. Think about what else you can do. This man said, You all come to my house. And Jesus was there. He used his home, he used his time. He used his resources, but he was determined that others should know the Savior that he met. Let's just state it in very basic terms. He's thinking now evangelistically. Surely you can see that. His life has been changed, and he's thinking evangelistically. Do you think like that? Or do you just live in a little cocoon as a Christian, grumping about everything that's wrong in the world? Do you think evangelistically, day after day, how can I get other people to Jesus? There's a third thing that we learn at this feast. Grace not only produces gratitude and makes us missionaries, but Grace provokes God's enemies. This salvation that the Lord has bestowed upon sinners that ought to make the heart of everyone rejoice is the same salvation that offends religious Pharisees. They're in and around the feast. I don't know whether they're invited or not, but they're certainly looking in through the window at least, and they're not happy. They're not happy because of the guests who are at the feast. And so they criticize again. Their purpose, like in the previous section, is to discredit the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And to them, it is utterly unthinkable that Jesus and his disciples would ever sit down and eat and drink with people like this. Now, in Luke's account, they're criticizing Jesus' disciples. When you bring the other accounts in, they're directly criticizing Jesus and his disciples. You could compare this with Mark chapter two and Matthew chapter nine. Well, what can we say of their criticism? Something very similar to what we said the last time. Remember their their problem last time was when Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee. And that was a very fair objection. Because there's only one that can forgive sins, and that's God. And so again, here, it's a fair question, isn't it? How is it Jesus, who is supposed to be this religious uh, leader, can be found at a feast with publicans and sinners? How can that be true, for example, when Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. How can that be so when the Bible actually warns us against doing things like this? That we're not to make friends of the world. James chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that the friendship of the world is enmity against God. We need to hear those things, don't we? There are many, many parts of the church today, and the last thing they want to hear about is separation from sinners. They want to take this passage and put all the emphasis upon the friendship of Jesus with sinners. And they want to tell us that that's exactly what we should be doing. So off we go to the pubs and clubs and we sit down with these sinners where they are, but really it's a mask for worldliness and a desire for professing Christians to be as much like the world as they can be. It's a fair question, but it's a flawed question. And its flaw is found in the answer that Jesus gives himself. And this is very helpful for us. Verse 31, and Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not the physician, but they that are sick. Now, particularly these words, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's my point? Why does Jesus sit, eat, drink with publicans and sinners? It's not simply to be friends with these people in a social context. He knows all of the scriptural truth about separation and friendship of the world and evil communication corrupts good manners. He knows all of that. But Jesus himself says, this is why I'm here. I came to call them to repentance. That's very helpful for us as Christians. Because we don't want to be overtaken with the pharisaical spirit that goes, sinners, ugh. And we just stand aloof from them and think we're better than them and put them in hell basically by our own judgment. We don't want to, we don't want to fall into that error but neither do we want to fall into the ditch at the other side where we think that we just go live like them, be with them, and make no difference whatsoever. We said a moment ago that Christians are thinking evangelistically. When you apply that to this kind of friendship with the world, a lawful friendship with the world, let's call it missionary friendship, It's motivated by something, not friendship in and of itself. You're different. You're a new creature. Your desires are different. Your goals are different. Your hope is different. Your morals are different. You can't even really coexist in a true and proper friendship there. But you are friendly, warm, for a purpose. And that purpose is to call them to repentance, not to excuse their sin, not to pretend everything's okay, but to call them to repentance. That's what Jesus did. That's not what the modern Christian is doing. It would give them rickets to even think about confronting sin and calling people to repentance, but not Jesus. So we've got the friend of sinners. Thirdly, we have the physician of souls. The physician of souls. Jesus answers the Pharisees' criticism with a proverb in verse 31 And Jesus, answering, said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And so this really asks and answers the question who needs a doctor? Who needs a doctor? Children, are are you all going to leave church today and run immediately to the ER? No. Why? Because you're okay. Because you're okay. Someone was sick in the middle of the week and that's exactly what had to happen. Why? Because the sick need a physician. And they run to the physician at their time of sickness. And so Jesus in this feast, under criticism, why do you sit with publicans and sinners? Is in essence saying, because I'm a doctor. And sick people need a doctor. Healthy people who have no need will not go and visit the physician. Oh, what a key gospel truth this is. Because it helps us understand who comes to Jesus and why do they come to Jesus. There are many people who are sick in this world and they have no idea they are sick, just like the Pharisees. That's Jesus' point. You think you're whole and because of that, you have no need of me. You don't even understand the purpose of my ministry. These are men that we find later in Luke chapter 18 who go up to the temple and pray with themselves and thank God that they are not like other men. They fast, they tithe, they do all of these things. They're certainly not sick. They're absolutely intact. They're boasting before God about how well they are. They're sick, but they have no idea. That they're sick. God forbid that would be you here today, that when I'm preaching this message, you think, well, this is a wonderful message for everybody else, but as for me, I don't need it. If you think like that, you need it more. You need it more, in a sense, than anybody else in this room, because you're sick and you don't know you are. And your wholeness is the very thing that shuts you out of salvation. There are many who are sick who do not know they're sick. Then there are those who know they're sick, but they try to heal themselves. They misdiagnose their condition. They think sin, which they accept they have, and they'll not dispute that with you, and you might not dispute that with me. You maybe have children like this. They'll not tell you they're not a sinner, but it's evident in their life they've never come to realize how serious their sin is. My sin is a little imperfection. And so they approach salvation as if they have a common cold and they don't realize that they have terminal cancer. They misdiagnose And then they self medicate. I'll fix the problem myself. I'll try a little harder. I'll get more serious about church. I'll do some religious acts. Maybe this week, because I felt a little pang in my conscience, I'll read my Bible for the first time in ages. I'll actually try to pray. What are you doing? You're trying to be your own physician. The problem is you've come to realize you're sick but you still do not realize how sick you are because your sickness is not creating sufficient need that you look at Jesus and say, I need him. Then there are those who learn that they have an incurable disease and they desperately need the great physician. the law is preached and it opens up to them all of the corruptions of their hearts they begin to see the extent of their sinfulness that they are as God described Israel to be in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 5 and 6 the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint From the top of the head to the sole of the the foot, there is nothing but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, and none of it has been bound up. None of it has been mollified with ointment. I'm just a complete mass of spiritual disease. Those people are not thinking like the Pharisees that they are whole and excluding themselves from salvation. But they're, they're coming now, you see. They're moved to come, like Levi. We don't know all the providential dealings of God with that man's soul. We don't know how long he was sitting in his toll booth with a building sense of sin and misery within his heart. We don't know how long he was trying to kick against the pricks of conscience. But we know this. When Jesus called this sinner, He knew he was sick. And that he had to come. What about you this afternoon? Have you learned that you have an incurable disease and that you desperately need the great physician? And you cry out unto God, who can heal me? And and God in his word Focuses all of your attention upon Jesus and says, He came. He came for sinfully sick people like you. Furthermore, every single sin sick soul that ever came to Him found healing. He is the doctor under whose care no patient has ever perished. Imagine a doctor like that. Visit one of the local hospitals and speak to any doctor and ask them, has, has, have any of your patients ever died? Every single one of them, unless they're in the job, but for a few months, is going to tell you, Yeah. Jesus, any of your patients ever died? Not one. Any of them only ever partially cured? No. Every one of them. Healed completely. Those of you who need conversion, this is the way the Lord works in the soul. He shows you your sickness and he holds out the great physician and he asks you, are you sick of your sin yet? Are you? Oh, I'm a sinner. Anybody can say that. I've been reading through Exodus. Pharaoh says it all the time. I have sinned. I have sinned. And then the thunder stops and he's back to his sin again. You can say that. I've no doubt some of you sat under preaching here and you felt that thunder within your soul. The problem is you're not sick of your sin. You're not sick of it. Conviction of sin is an unpleasant inconvenience to you, but it is not enough to stop you in your tracks and to say, I've had enough of sin. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of myself. And others watching on are more sick of your sin than you are of it. But you need to be convinced. You need to see yourself like this. And if you do today, then you're in the hospital where the great physician is held out to you. And he says, I am able to deal with every spiritual complaint that you have. Is your heart broken by guilt? Bring it to me. Is your life ruined through the misery of sin? Bring all of its effects to me. Do you look into your soul and see impotence and corruption? Bring it all to me. Because those who are sick come to the physician. And don't come to me worrying as you all do here that you're going to get a bill for my services because it's all free. Free. But this physician doesn't stop healing upon our first coming to him. And so what an encouraging word for Christians. We're not to be self-righteous Pharisees and hypocrites because as we continue in the Christian life, we end up in places like the psalmist in Psalm 38 that we look at our hearts and we say, my wounds do stink and are corrupt. My folly makes it so. We find ourselves in Romans chapter 7 just stunned At how many times we do the things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things that we do want to do and that causes so much desperation within our souls. We cry, oh wretched man that I am, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And Jesus says, me. You're sick, aren't you, as a Christian? You still have this loathsome disease of sin within your soul. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Is that not good news to you as a Christian today? That those who are whole need not a physician. If you find yourself as a professing Christian not needing the physician... You're, you're too whole. You're misdiagnosing. You're misdiagnosing your problem. And, and you're not living... You're not living the Christian life dependent upon the grace of God. But you see, with a truth like this, the Christian can be as honest as he needs to be with his soul because he knows that every malady has a remedy in Christ. Praise God for the great physician. Finally, the call to repentance. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is Jesus' interpretation of his own proverb. I came to call sinners. The righteous have no need of me. But I came to call sinners to repent To go back to verse 27 and 28 Implicit I said in the call Follow me That's why Levi rose up Left everything and followed Jesus It was an act of repentance So let's bring verse 31 and 32 together The proverb explained How do we understand it? There is a great physician for sin-sick souls. But the door into his surgery says repent. That's the only way you get to him. Repent. The physician came to call sinners to repentance. That means those who are sick come knowing their need. And repentance, we're taught by our catechism, involves a true sense of our sin. And a grief and a hatred for our sin. And my friends, when God calls you by his powerful word, do you know what that will feel like? To a greater or less degree, it will feel like loathing yourself, grief and hatred for your sin and a kind of desperation to run through this door of repentance prior to that repentance was a horrible word to you but now this call to repent it's a sweet thing it's an urgent thing The sick come knowing their need. They come turning from sin. They desire to be healed, you see. They want to leave all of this loathsomeness behind them. They are not wanting to go to Jesus and take their sickness away with them again. Although the door into this surgery says repent, implicit in it is that they believe. Because they have to see the physician and As the catechism says, apprehend the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That going through the door of repentance to the great physician, they come to one who is not only able to deal with every spiritual sickness they have, but he's willing, he's willing to do so. because God has preached mercy to them in Christ. Repent. You know that you're sick. You turn from your sickness. You're sick of your sin and sick of yourself. You come repenting, leaving that sin behind, believing that God will be merciful to you for Jesus' sake. And then you find forgiveness. And you find healing. And you turn to go back out of the great physician's surgery. And there's a sign on the other side of the door. The way in said repent. And the way out says new obedience. New obedience. Again, the catechism, repentance unto life is a saving grace. Whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ Jesus doth with grief and hatred of that sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. It's in the text, isn't it? It's in this text where follow me Follow me. In those two words, leave everything behind. Bring your sin-sick soul to the great physician and walk after him in a life of new obedience. We must never get these things turned round. It doesn't say obedience in the way in to the great physician's surgery. It says repentance. Repentance. But when Jesus Christ makes us whole, it says new obedience in the way out because Jesus would have us deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Christ came to call sinners to repentance. Follow me. Let's stand for prayer. Our Father in heaven, bless thy word to our hearts. We thank you for this gospel and that there is a physician for our souls. We praise you that Jesus Christ makes sinners whole. There are some here today who need to be made sick of their sin and we can only tell them that. But if they continue to feel whole, then... There's nothing that we can do humanly about that. Lord, we pray that you would show them their sickness. That you would reveal Christ unto them. Help us to hear his call to repent and to follow him. Make that effectual in our lives as it was in the life of Levi. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.